Hey there, everybody. Kevin O'Connell, founder of The Nitriment. Back for a really unique uh, episode and interview with our good supporter of The Nitriment, Jessica Lutz. So the How I Found a Job That I Love podcast. We've been going at this, uh, let's see, The Nitriment's been around since 2012. We started a podcast series around 2015 when my first book came out. And then it evolved in 2016 when we actually interviewed guests here in my office and we work Crystal City outside of Washington, D.C. And then in 2017, we spent that whole year doing about, a let's see, eight or nine different uh, epi- or interviews, fireside chats between New York City and D.C. So that was some more audio and video content. And that was something brand new. So if you listen to the, the last episode, and if you haven't, I'd recommend checking it out. But we have flipped the script where we have allowed our contributing editors, we have close to about 30 of them that write for our blog periodically, and we gave them the option and the platform to, to share their advice, their, their career insight, their adversity, their vulnerability, whatever they want to share through the, the means of audio. And so the last episode we just introduced was Dustin Ramsdale, and he is uh, the founder of Higher Ed Geek. He also works at Noodle Partners. He's a, a higher ed student affairs um, employee. And now uh, we have the opportunity to introduce Jessica Lutz. So I sat down with Jessica virtually. She was out in um, she was out in Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh, and I was here in D.C. But we got together uh, probably right after July Fourth weekend, and we recorded this. The cool thing is the way Jessica and I came to connect with one another was a little over a year ago. She out of nowhere replied to one of our email newsletters. And this is the cool thing. I never know who who's reading, who's really opening these email newsletters, who's who's uh, who's following along, whether it's on Twitter or from afar. And she had connected through somebody else uh, who, who shared something on Twitter about the nutrient or one of our blogs. And she reached out and said, hey, Kevin, my name is Jessica. I've been following for a couple months here now. And I love what you're talking about as far as rethinking your traditional career search and helping you know people in their 20s find the job they love. And she, and she said, you know, at the time, uh, I'm, I'm writing uh, for Forbes, and I'm writing about this whole notion of underemployment and, and how to help people that are, are either highly educated or highly skilled get a job where their skills align with the, the job responsibilities. And so I said, sure, I'd, I'd love to do an interview and help you guys out. So since then, and that was uh, about nine to 10 months ago, we've stayed in touch. We've helped one another out. I've seen her now get promoted uh, to a job that she now loves. But to give a formal intro and bio behind Jessica Lutz is, it reads here, she's a directionless, soul-turned writer and podcaster with a penchant for helping others through periods of uncertainty and potential change. Love, love, love the wordsmithing, the wordsmithing there, Jess. Um, she previously has written for Bankable by Forbes, which I just talked about, Hole and Lane Magazine, and Women for One. Uh, you can find her podcast, which she just launched back in the spring of 2018. That podcast is called Overcoming Underemployment. You can find that on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And she even has a dedicated website, overcomingunderemployment.com. So just like traditional podcasts, we, we, we start out, you know, where's Jess from? How'd she work her way through her childhood into college and then out to college uh, where she, you know, went right into a master's program, but then faced a lot of adversity. You know, uh, we're going to definitely talk about her underemployment story where she definitely becomes very vulnerable and shares some personal stuff there. Um, but then we talk about the problem with underemployment. Uh, we, we definitely share some statistics around it, some research. But the other thing that I like to share here with what Jessica is doing is she is building her digital reputation. She, she loves writing outside of her full time job. She had the chance to write for Forbes and some of these other places I mentioned earlier. Um, and so we talk about, you know, building your digital reputation, ways to get noticed. Um, and, and then even, you know, what's the biggest sacrifice that she's made and has that helped her? Uh, we also talk about some different books to check out, especially if you're facing, you know, underemployment because it can be very tough or if you're just in the middle of a job search. And then uh, as always, as we normally do with our fireside chats and even what we did with Dustin is I have a handful of fire, uh, rapid fire questions I love to throw her way. So that is what you're about to hear. So without further ado, let's uh, jump right into it. And here's the interview with Jessica Lutz of Overcoming Underemployment. Jessica, uh, thank you so much for uh, jumping in and being on our podcast. As I mentioned with some of my other guests here previously, we're kind of reigniting uh, a new season here for the end of 2018. So thank you for, for jumping on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, so I think it's really cool the way that we connected and uh, I'm always amazed that this uh, 
takeaway that you know, you and I have kind of uh, the same uh, cross, we've crossed our paths in higher ed, but I think it's really cool that digitally we didn't know each other probably over a year ago. Was that safe to say, right? Like I think it was um, October of 2017 that you might have reached out. Yeah, fall of last year. Yeah. Yep. So to, to our to our listeners out there, I think the cool thing that happened was um, every Thursday or so we send out a niche movement uh, email newsletter, the different content we're, where we have, the different events, things that we have going on. And a lot of times, you know, I look at the numbers and the analytics and people and some people I know, some people have no idea who's subscribing. And uh, I think you fired back an email and said, hey, I'm doing a feature for, for Forbes and I'd love to feature what the niche movement is about, who you are, da, da, da. And I was so shocked that even you were following. And then I think you alluded to when we got finally on the call that you came across the niche movement in this community through another student affairs professional. Is that right? Yep, that's yeah. right. Yeah, cool. Um, so I just, I love one, the fact that that's how it, our connection here has happened. Uh, and in less than a year, you and I have stayed in touch. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've gotten a, a great job uh, out of Pittsburgh, which we'll talk about on the on the podcast here today. And then I know that you're really diving deep into this whole topic of underemployment. Uh, but yeah. the first thing that I want to do is, and, and one of the reasons we're doing this is because we're uh, looking to kind of introduce you as one of our uh, kind of co-hosts to the Niche Movement podcast here. But uh, I think the biggest thing we can do for our audience is let's start. I know you grew up in Phoenixville, PA. Uh, you're now out in the western side of PA. But have you always been a PA girl? And like, what, what's what, what's your journey? How did you get to where you are? Uh, I'm assuming you're in your mid-20s and, you know, you're kind of just, you know, getting into your career and stuff like that. But how did you get to where you are? Sure. Um I was born and raised in Phoenixville, um, lived there my whole life. I was a first generation college student. So I went to school in Philadelphia at Temple and the the way that I got to where I am now, it's a very crooked, windy path. It didn't really make sense going forward, but it only makes sense looking back. I went to school, didn't know what I wanted to do at all. I applied as journalism and I switched to undeclared before I even got accepted anywhere. And by the time I got to school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I couldn't figure it out. So I printed the list of every single major that Temple offers. And I picked one off of the list because I had no idea what I was doing, what I wanted to do. So I picked advertising. And by the time I realized that I didn't like it, I was way too far in the curriculum to change my mind unless I wanted to add on a bunch of semesters to my time. So I stuck with it, graduated with a bachelor's in advertising. And as I was in undergrad, I came back from studying abroad and they were looking for peer advisors for the study abroad program. So I started doing that as like a on the side thing in addition to school my last year. And I wanted to do that more than I wanted to go to my classes. I, <laughs> it was very bizarre to me. It was like, wait a minute, there are people that do this for a living. Like looking around me, and like I meet with them, like you know, a couple times a semester. But it had never occurred to me that you could be one of those people. <laughs> so, because it's not one of those things that comes up on like, like I kept doing those job inventories, and it kept coming back be a teacher. And I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. I've already thought of this. Thank you. But that's just not quite right. So it, it felt right once I got there. So I applied to Kansas State's master's in academic advising program. I started that immediately after undergrad, I finished it in a little bit over a year. And then that that was the end of my academic journey. And then that's when I started to get into the finding a job territory that comes after school. So the first kind of tangent question I have is where did you study abroad? Like what got you hooked uh, on this kind of whole space and, and all that stuff? Where did you study abroad? I went to London and I didn't want to come home. <laughs> I was like, can I just stay here somehow? Like it was the it was the best four months ever because I made a lot of really good friends and I learned a lot about myself because I started to travel alone. I'd never done anything alone before that because I was always a really anxious person and it was it was a combination of going to therapy before I went to study abroad and then kind of taking the leap and going and I was doing things by myself. I went to France by myself. And I think about it now. I'm like, wow, I, I did that? Like, that sounds terrifying. Like, what? But um, yeah, London was where it all started. Um, and I just was 
in love with the program, in love with the city. It was just all that I wanted to talk about. I feel like so many, uh, first of all, uh, I have like four or five really close friends now that just are are like, they're falling in love with London. My my wife's been going there for work and and actually her Mm -hmm. friend was just just down there. We're talking about when she studied abroad over there, but I feel like I don't know what it is about London that, uh, that it just draws a certain type of person or has a certain type of pace of culture. Um, and maybe it's where it's located, but it's such a, such a cool area. What um so so you you mentioned that this was something you took the leap of faith, pushed your comfort zone. A lot of things that we talk about here in the niche movement, but a spe- you know specifically, I don't see people doing that until they're a handful of years in their career, or maybe they're later on in life. But mm-hmm. what was that transformational moment like? If you look back at it now, um, like you, did you get something out of that? If so, what? I mean, because I think like college is such a critical time to learn about yourself. Uh, was this a, something that you? experience that might have helped you get to where you are now? I think so. I think honestly, I was just thinking about this earlier today. I was, I watched like a graduation speech montage and they were talking about how when you fail and you are uncomfortable, like that's when the next thing comes that moves you into the next thing that you're going to be doing. So in not liking the school that I picked, not liking the major that I picked, I needed to get away. And so the way for me to do that was to go abroad alone. So that kind of uncomfortable moment was what pushed me into, you know, saying, you know what, I am going to go do something by myself. What's the worst thing that could happen? So I think that that was a really pivotal moment for me because even my parents, my family, they were like, who is this person? Like, <laughs> this is not what we expected from you. Yeah. So. Especially I'm sure as a first gen college student and everything. And yeah. Um, so that was our first pivotal moment. And then you went on to grad school. And, and mm-hmm. can you talk about maybe that last one to two months of grad school? Because I, I know that feeling, whether you're an undergraduate graduating or, or a graduate student, it's like everybody's getting these jobs and going on interviews. And it's like, what am I doing wrong? And then and I know a little bit about your story, but we're going to unfold it here in a little bit. But what was that last month or so of graduate school like? And then you can kind of jump into what unfolded after that. Sure. The last month or so was absolutely nerve wracking. I was so nervous about finding a job and I was frantically applying to things and I had gotten a couple interviews, but none of them were panning out. So it was a lot of just uncertainty and feeling really uncomfortable about not knowing what's coming next and and seeing people getting jobs. And my friends from undergrad all had jobs and it was a really, really uncomfortable time because everyone was like oh don't worry something will work out and that's not really the way I operate so well um, or at least I didn't used to so that was it was tough and once I got to so it's I graduated in July of 2013 from the grad program and by September I was running out of money to pay my rent and my bills and all the things that you need to live independently. And I was like, I need to get a job anywhere. I need to stop aiming high and I just need to find something somewhere because I need money. I can't, I, I can't not pay my bills. So, so I ended up super practical basically. Exactly. And, and, and was this still, um, at your, in, in the town of your grad school or was this, did you come back home to PA? That right after I graduated from undergrad, I moved to Pittsburgh. Um, my my husband went to school here. He ended up getting a job here, and I didn't want to be back in Philly. I wanted to be where he was, wherever that happened to be. So, I just came straight to Pittsburgh, and I have been here since. Okay, so, so from so from May when you graduated to September, the the practical and reality set, and you're like, I I just have to 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 one get working and two just whatever it takes to bring in some money. Yeah. So I. I was applying to jobs all over the place. I I I always reference this. I applied to a job at the Gap, and even they would not hire me. It was like, wow, even Gap's too good for me. Okay, because they wanted you to have like a fashion blog. And I was like, I just need money, and I'm a good person. But fine. So I ended up getting a job at a small family-owned local business near our apartment here in Pittsburgh, and I ended up staying there for two and a half years. And when I started, when I started, I was making minimum wage, which in Pennsylvania is seven twenty-five an hour. I was only working part-time because that's all they would give me. And 
it was a really, also a really stressful time because um, I just wasn't making enough money to make ends meet. It was making some money, but not enough money. So I dealt with that for probably six months or so. And then they moved me up to full time, which was still not enough money, but it was at least more money. And it, so I started there in September of 2013. And in the summer of 2015, is that right? I think it was two years. I kind of had, had hit like a rock bottom, like emotionally. So I was just incredibly unhappy with my entire life almost. I mean, I was living with my he was my boyfriend at the time and we were finally together after being apart for so long, but I didn't have any money. I couldn't find a job that would use my degree and I was just really miserable to be around. Like it's like I always refer to myself as a rain cloud and like in that point in time like I was just like if I could come into a room it would just like suck the energy out because I was just so <sighs> frustrated with everything wow. and I didn't know what to do about it so I was just going to be miserable and that was my MO until I couldn't do that anymore cuz I I had had a really bad argument with my husband Mac and it was like the worst. I don't even remember what it was about, but it was absolutely the worst argument we had ever had. And I I had to leave the house because I was so upset. And I was like wandering around a bookstore just trying to find something to do with my mind. And I couldn't distract myself. And I was like, I'm really unhappy. And I don't like anything about my current situation. It's like, I need to do something. I can't keep going this way or I'm going to lose what little bit of life that I have. So from there, I didn't know what to do, but I just knew I couldn't be this way anymore. So I tried to just start making myself better, start focusing more on myself and not being so frantic about not being able to find a job and trying to find one. So that was the, I think it took, I think it only took six months for me to finally get to my next position from that point which seems crazy when I think about it because I spent so long just wanting things to be different. And as soon as I decided, you know what, I need to change, things actually started happening for me. So I started as a temp at Pitt and then I got a position that was full time. So things things got better, but it took a while for me to get there. Wow. Uh, well, first of all, Jess, thank you for, for sharing those last five minutes. It's a lot of... Um... I feel for you because it's especially knowing you, you weren't just two years out of your undergrad, you were two years past your graduate program. Like now I understand even more of like where uh, your whole passion for talking about um, overcoming underemployment comes from. So the one thing you I have a couple other questions I want to talk about. Maybe we'll get to them later. But the, the first thing you just said that really caught my attention is from that rock bottom moment, uh, you said you, you knew you had to make a change. You were in that bookstore. Uh, you want to make yourself happy. Um, and you, you got your foot in the door with, with Pitt, University of Pittsburgh like six mm -hmm. months later. But you said something yeah. very interesting the way you said it. You said, yeah, from that point on, it only took six months. Mm -hmm. I meet so many people, young and old, beginning and end of their career spectrum, that like if they don't hear back within a week or a month or if a job search <laughs> process, and here we go within the higher ed pro area, but like the higher ed job search process sometimes takes a year. Mm -hmm. um, but you said it in a way as like, it only took six months. And I think to a lot of people, regardless <laughs> yeah. if we're Gen Z, millennials, older, whoever it is, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people say it the other way. Like, oh my God, it took so long. It took six months. When really, that's not a long time of life. Why yeah. did you say it that way? Or, or what, what were those six months like? I think that... Like what changed? Be, because I had already been doing it for so long, six months really wasn't that much longer in the grand scheme of things. Um, but that six months was really transformational for me because I, I did a lot more of like soul searching and introspection and trying to figure out the kind of person I want to be. And like I said, when I would come into a room, I could suck the energy out. I was like, well, what do I want to be like instead? How do I want to come off to people? How do I want to be around people? What do I want them to remember me by? So that period was a lot of, I mean, I'm still doing that now, but it was that initial, okay, who do I want to be? How do I want to be? What can I do to get from where I am right now to be more like that person? So that was, it was a very, 
it was a good period for me, honestly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what was it? Was there a resource? Was there a book? Was it a mentality shift? Was it like what what happened during those couple months that that were just like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be that rain cloud anymore. Uh, rainbow yeah. cloud. Like what was that? There the, there were a lot of books. Um, I went to the library and I just raided the self-help section. I mean, I live near the Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh, which is a giant, amazing library. So I would just go in there and just pick up whatever sounded good, whatever sounded like what I needed at the time. And that's my favorite way to find books is to just wander throughout the library. I rarely request things, which is a whole new thing that I'm doing now. But a lot of books that would encourage a kind of mindset shift. There was one book particularly that I read right at the beginning called Rejection Proof. And it's by Jia Jiang, I think that's how you say it. And he basically wrote a book about how like how you should try to get rejected over and over and over again, because you need to be good at it if you're ever going to get past it. So it was him documenting his experience and he asked to do all kinds of things that he was sure he'd get rejected from. And a lot of the time people would say yes to him, which always blew his mind. Like he asked to to think he said to sing the national anthem on an airplane over the speaker. And he went to some, his most famous thing he did was to go to Krispy Kreme and get them to make him the Olympic rings and donuts. Oh my God. Uh, Like he just tried all of this random stuff to try and get rejected. Wow. So I'm glad that you shared the book because that was like on the tip of my tongue. Like, can you give us a book that you recommended? <laughs> so I've never actually heard of that, but I, I am a big believer, especially um, in me working for myself over the last three and a half years is is one of the things I, I talk about in some of the workshops and classes that I teach is at the end is like you have to build up a no tolerance or rejection tolerance because whether mm-hmm. you're whether you're working for yourself and you're going after business or you're going for a job search or you're going for promotion, uh, you, you need to build up that no or that or that that like where they're going to close the door on you, uh, because I think the, the more that you can one realize like you're going to bounce back from it two it may not be a no or three, you know, so many uh, no's or, or rejections gets you to that. Yes. And I think when mm-hmm. we don't take that action, uh, a lot of people just sit there and they don't build up that tolerance. So I think that's a great book to, to recommend to our listeners here. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, so then. Let's um, let's go here. So, I remember listening to your the first couple of episodes of your podcast and your trailer. And your first episode really talked about underemployment, and it kind of makes sense to what you just described the last ten minutes or so. But what you've can you now are working full time, and I'm not sure if you would say you're underemployed or not. But but why why is this a topic? Why did you start a podcast around this? I started the podcast because I felt like this was something I know this affects a lot of people. I don't know how many people it affects, but it could potentially be affecting millions of people at any time, especially people who are college graduates that can't find a job. And I just felt like nobody was talking about this experience, even though they're documented very negative effects on all sides of life. And it's just like no one's saying anything about this they're like yeah that's just something that happens you know uh, everybody's just a, a barista with a liberal arts degree you know <laughs> but like it's not so it's so much more complicated than I think people realize and I just wanted someone to talk about it and I was like well looks like it's gonna be me so I just went ahead and did it so I love that you're planning kind of a flagpole there and and I would agree that you know, one of the things you said, and, and I see it a lot in higher ed, uh, is especially alumni and career services. It's like, you know, 98% of our, oh. our, our, uh, students graduate with a job. Right. And I yeah. think what you said was, okay, that's great. Uh, uh-huh. okay. The economy says our unemployment rate is, is at the lowest there been. That's great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this underemployment is just a very, uh, buried topic, uh, that is not being talked about. And mm-hmm. I think, you 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 lived it and um god it's it's gotta suck when you not only busted your butt for four six seven eight years uh in in college but the other thing is like you have all this college debt and you can't even pay it off and that's the worst part about it if i didn't have debt it wouldn't have been so crushing but it was like a weight on my shoulders (laughs) so let let's let's really get into this and this is one of the reasons i wanted to interview you and, and have you on the podcast but 
school everybody, school our listeners, school me, like uh, just just kind of like share your thoughts, like what's going on with underemployment? What are stats you've read? I I know you mentioned uh, somebody from Gallup came into Pitt and talked about all these different stats, but but Mm -hmm. if you could drop two, three, four bullet points uh, on what people should be knowing about underemployment, and then after that, we'll come out the other side and talk about um, how to get out of it and then how to strategies to kind of build up your confidence to get out of it like you did. But what, what's the background of this? What's, what's the research you're doing? What's, what are you writing about? What are you talking about in your podcast? Yeah, I think that one of the things that is a big problem with it that is it needs to be addressed is that there's a difference between what students are expecting to get out of college and what colleges are expecting students to get out of college because students are going in thinking, I'm going here to get a job. And when you survey students, that's what they say because that's what they're told. (laughs) So they're there to get a job, to start a career, to get the background that they need to successfully get a job. And colleges aren't, that's not what they're promising. Like you can't really find it written somewhere where, I mean, they'll say, you know, 90% Four percent of our students get a job after school and I'm like okay but what kind of jobs are they getting are they in their field or not like that's not a complicated question to ask on a survey you know is it in your field or not are they satisfied are they engaged right yeah, and yeah. no one's really asking that question because I don't think that they want you to believe that that's what you're getting because that's never really what they promised or offered so I think that there's a disconnect between what people are expecting to get and what is actually being given to them. Mm -hmm. And there are some fields that it doesn't apply for, like engineering or being a pre-med, like you have to get a bachelor's degree. Yeah, but for a lot of other professions, it's not so cut and dry. This is what you have to do to get where you want to be. So I think that that's one of the big parts of the issue. Um, And I think the other thing that I really like people to know is that it's happening to a lot of people it's not people's fault that they're underemployed. It's not something that they did wrong. They made a bad choice. It's happening to people in every field in a lot of majors. It's not just happening to liberal arts. Liberal arts are the scapegoat for underemployment. Everyone just wants to believe that it's a bunch of history majors or English majors and that's their fault. They shouldn't have majored in art. And it's really not that simple. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a, a And it's really too bad because the liberal arts can be really valuable for a lot of different professions. Mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of research trying to figure out, you know, should we be valuing the liberal arts more or less? And I don't think that disregarding them and cutting them out makes any sense because we can't just train people for jobs because we don't even know what the jobs are going to be later. So if if you're training someone for a very specific job and then that job goes away, what do they do now? They have to go back to school, figure out a new career. So I think that there's something to be said for pursuing a more broad education that can help you, you know, think more critically and be more well-rounded and have a better understanding of the world and the way mm-hmm. things work. So, yeah, it, you know, the interesting thing that you said is, and I remember this to you in your podcast as well, is it's not just, uh, we're not just um, targeting this one age group of the recent graduates, because I, I think you said something that's like 22 to like 52 year olds or, or 72 year olds, like we're all facing this regardless of if you're the beginning, middle, end of your career. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Am I, yeah. You said that? Absolutely. Um, where are you, has there been one piece of uh, research or data point that has been most shocking or, or, or stood out to you or like we need to address this? I think it was really just looking at like census data and figuring out trying to figure out how many people this is actually affecting because Mm -hmm. I came back with something like 15 million and it was like, holy crap, that is way more people than I, than I anticipated. And that's people of all ages, but Mm -hmm. still that's a ton of people going through this really crappy experience that feel like they're going through it alone. Yeah. And, um, we're going to kind of continue through this topic, but, uh, for, for all the, the, uh, uh, we'll call them data nerds or people that want more of this research. Where, where are places that you're looking is, are there a couple of websites? I mean, I know you just mentioned the census, but where can other practitioners, people that want to learn more about future of work, uh, underemployment, where, where are you digging around on the internet to, to find some of this stuff? The best thing that I ever found was actually a textbook of studies on underemployment and it came out in 2011. So it's pretty 
pretty relevant considerably. Um, but it was the most informative thing I ever read. And it was one of the first things I really picked up on this. Mm-hmm. And I refer back to it constantly because it gave me a really good idea of what this experience is like. And it was mm-hmm. most surprising to me, if not how many people it's happening to, is that how similar people's experiences are, but how isolated and alone they feel. Everyone going through it feels like it's something to do with them, something wrong with them, and they need mm-hmm. to feel ashamed of their choices when it's really everyone's going through it by themselves the same way. And that's one of the reasons that I like to have people's to share people's stories on my podcast is because yeah. they're all so similar, even though they are different. And I think that that's important to to point out to people. Yeah, it, it's a it's an internal dialogue that we probably have with ourselves in between our ears, and we don't mm-hmm. we don't think like, oh wow, uh, that that number that you shared of seventeen or fifty million people going through this, or whatever the census data is, or you know, my coworker's not going through this, or my partner's not going through this. So there's a lot of people that are. Um, but we don't talk about it. And I think whether it's this, the job search process, uh, it's a very lonely and uh, it, it can affect your psyche very easily. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, we're, we're I love connecting with people like you, um, that this is a, a sliver of this whole ecosystem in this market of job satisfaction, engagement and future of work and uh, all this stuff. And so I love that you're tackling this. Um, I'm going to ask a rapid fire question here. Uh, it's not necessarily going to break it up. We're going to stay on topic. But I guess if you uh, could wave a magic wand at this underemployment and whether you uh, could go back and not relive it or, or still relive it, but wave a magic wand and fix it for everybody else starting from today, is there something you would do or something you wish for um, that could maybe help or change or, or eliminate underemployment? I think that one thing that would help a lot is how we go about hiring people and the requirements that we're asking of people to have because a lot of the jobs that are out there, they ask for all of this experience, you need this degree, and I'm not sure that you actually need a lot of those things to do the job well. I I know that I applied to a lot of jobs and I didn't have the qualifications. I had the degree but not the experience and I knew I could do that job and I could kick that job's but but they would never look at my application because I didn't have the criteria that they set forward. So I think that that can be really limiting. But I understand why they do it. It's because they're getting hundreds of applications. They have to filter through them somehow. But I think that it it can screen out a lot of really great candidates for jobs just because they're overwhelmed and they're looking for, okay, so you know what? Fine, we want people with 10 to 15 years of experience. Yeah. Like it, yeah. yeah. I agree. And especially when you get into this applicant tracking system and, and I mean, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother animal. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, one of the things I think it was, um, it's probably two years ago, but, uh, Mandy Stewart and I, do you know Mandy Stewart? She's fairly active on social know, media and higher ed. Um, I know of her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll make sure I connect you, but, uh, she was, she was actually working part time and doing some stuff with the niche movement, but her and I were, were talking about strengths, Gallup strengths quests uh, and strengths assessment. And we actually went on, on on Dustin's podcast and talked about, but one of the things that we thought Gallup should be doing is they should be working with employers to either include the strengths on their, uh, on their job descriptions or people should be hiring based on almost the strengths. Like the actual responsibilities can be in there, but I think if you could almost match people up and hire them based on strengths and, and create job descriptions based on that, um, you could kind of get rid of the 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 tangible black and white, uh, you know, major experience, et cetera. And I know that's not, like you said earlier, it's not gonna be fit for every single industry and every single job, but it's something to consider. Yeah. So I actually, I read about that once and, they used to do those kinds of things in job applications, like have people take a, they would call it a personality test, yeah. but they actually made them illegal because they were discriminating discriminating against people who didn't, like it was somehow became a way to discriminate against yeah. application applicants. Yeah. So they made it illegal. And it was like, oh, man, but that could be so useful. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a shame. Yeah. Um, so let's... Um, I kind of want to round out underemployment and, and maybe some practical and very hands-on strategies that, that you've, because I know your advisor, we're going to talk about that. But um, the one question I have down here is how did you deal or how could other people 
deal with this uh, this this situation where, hey, I'm graduating. It is uh, March 30th or or April 20th, and and I'm graduating in two to three to four weeks, and all my undergraduate friends or all my graduate friends are landing these great interviews, these great jobs. Uh, and all of a sudden you're like, what am I doing wrong? What advice would you have to people regardless of industry? I know you and I were, were in higher ed, but, but regardless of industry, what, what advice practical or high level, what would you give? I would say, get ready to wait. (laughs) It's not going to be easy, but like we talked about earlier, you have to be ready to get over rejection and wait for things that you want and keep putting yourself out there, even though you keep getting rejected or you're not hearing anything back. So I think that bracing yourself for that uphill battle and knowing that it might take longer than your friends or your classmates experiences and trying not to compare your experience to theirs because it's so easy to fall into that trap and just look around and see how well other people are doing and where they're going and what they're doing and feeling inadequate and feeling like there's something you're doing wrong or something that you just can't do like they can. And so I think that not comparing your experience to anyone else's would help a lot, but it's a very easy trap to fall into. So, so get ready to wait, brace yourself. Um, let me ask you this. Is it okay to say no? So let's say you do get a job offer, regardless of timeline. Uh, if you're not feeling it or you feel like you're going to be underemployed, uh, mm-hmm. do you think it's okay to say no? Say, hey, I'm going to pass on this job. Honestly, there was research that just came out from Burning Glass and I think Gallup. It was like a joint effort and or Strata. I have to look that up. But they did research on what happens to people who take a job and become underemployed after graduation. And they actually do worse than people who just found a more adequate job from the gate because they tend to get stuck in that position and they get frustrated and they don't move forward and they lose time that they could have been making more money and have a more relevant job. So Mm -hmm. I, it's hard because what if you say no and then nothing else comes through, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, what if you say yes and you get stuck there for three years? It's hard to know what will happen, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge someone for saying, you know what, I really don't think this is going to work out for me long term. No. Yeah. So how'd you, so let's talk about you more. Um, how did you get into pit? Um, you, and, and actually real quick, and, and I'm sure I've already, I've already done this in your intro, but, but what, what's your current role and what are you doing at University of Pittsburgh? I am an advisor in a TRIO student support services program, which is a government funded program for low-income, and first-generation college students. And you've been doing that for how long? I started in February, so it's been five five or so months now. Gotcha. Um, so how'd you, um, in, a, in a few minutes here, how'd you go from working at the uh, family hardware store to getting your foot in the door with Pitt and then working your way into this job? What was that journey like? I... I think I had an informational interview with an advisor at Carnegie Mellon way back when I was like, I got to change my life. I don't know what to do. And I had met her at an interview and I didn't get the job, but I reached out to her again a couple months later. Like, can we get coffee? I'd like some advice if you wouldn't mind. And she suggested applying to be a temp at either Carnegie Mellon or Pitt. And so I randomly did that after we talked and I didn't hear anything for a month or two. And I randomly got a call in January of 2016 and they were like, hey, we would like to have you come in for an interview for the temp position at Pitt. And I was very surprised because I had completely forgotten about it and I just assumed that they didn't want to talk to me because that was usually how it goes when you don't hear anything from anyone. So I went in for my interview and I had a position with, in less than a week, they were like, here's where you're gonna go, you need to start on Monday. So I was kind of overwhelmed because I couldn't even put two weeks in at my job. I was working two jobs until I could transition from one to the other. And I worked at that temp position until March. It was about two, three months. And then I got my full-time position, my first position at Pitt. And it was more of an administrative student services position. And I was there for a year and a half. And I was still very underemployed at that job and still really unhappy with just how things were going politically at that job. There was a lot of 
kind of, I don't want to say bullying, but there are definitely some uncomfortable situations with people at that job. And I just, I needed to get into a better space. And so I began applying to jobs again. And I find it so odd the way that I got my job because I didn't know anyone in the office. No one put in a word for me. I just, they just picked my application out of the stack of however many they got. And it just went from, and it was like a perfect fit. It was everything that I, because a couple of months ago, before I had gotten that position, I wrote down a list of things that I wanted at my next job that I was going to have at my next job. And this job checked off, I think, all but one of the boxes, which was a window in my office. And it was like, <laughs> well, if that's what I had to give up, fine. I can see the sun from where I'm sitting. So you know what? I'll take it. So it was just a, it was just bizarre. Like I left the interview and it, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be around those people. I wanted to do that job. It was just a really good fit. So I find that really odd because I always felt like you had to know somebody. That was the only way I was ever going to get a job. And it ended up not being the case at all. But hmm. sometimes that's how it goes. That's so cool to, to kind of, obviously we started this podcast, like hearing your, your, the struggles and the sacrifices you made and, and to hear that like serendipitously, like someone's looking out for you and like it, it all worked out. And so far yeah. it's like, you, you, would you say like, uh, this sounds like a, for right now for you is perfect job and that you love what you do. Is that, is that fair to say, or on a scale of like one to 10, are you loving what you do? I absolutely completely accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Like I couldn't have asked for a better job. Like if I could have made yeah. a job, this yeah. probably would have yeah. been it. So for people that are interested in this, like academic advising, working with college students, I mean, just give me, um, give everybody just a couple, uh, in, give us some insight. Like what's, what's one university of Pittsburgh like Two, what's, what's your day to day, what's your job like? Um, what are some things that you, if you were hiring, what would you look for? Like, how could you help people get into this field? I would say that, I mean, it's, it's a little different than working at Pitt per se, because mm-hmm. we are this government funded operation that's kind of okay. separate from the general advising center. But, um, Day to day, it could be a whole bunch of things. We do a lot of programming and workshops for our students. Um, I'll meet with students for appointments, um, getting into social media. It's We do all sorts of things. So it's never quite the same day twice. But our goal is always to just help our students with whatever they need. And I, uh, The first time I meet them, I always say, I, I, I get serious after we've been talking for a while and I'm like, listen, there's something that I absolutely want to make sure that you know, and it's that you can come to me or anyone in this office with a problem that you are having. So if you need counseling or you need a new place to live or you need food to eat or you're having trouble with your roommate, like don't feel ashamed. Please come talk to us because if we don't fix it here, we know who does and where to go. So please don't feel like you have to deal with things yourself and do it all alone. Like we are here to help with whatever it is. So I just want you to know that you can come in here. Because I think that a lot of, especially first generation students, they, they're they missing that piece. Like sure. I have someone here who cares about me and I can talk to them openly and they know me. So I really appreciate being able to give that to our students. Yeah. And that's something that is so under... I, th- I think undervalued that one-to-one relationship because you can't scale it. You can't put it in a report or statistics, but they need more people and more personalities like, like you um, mm-hmm. on every college campus. And I know that there's a lot of people out there like that, but I also know what the other alternative looks like. So, um, so that's awesome. What um, I want to get some rapid fire questions here. Uh, but before I do that, I want to know what, what's been your biggest sacrifice that you've made? Hmm. I think honestly, moving to Pittsburgh was a really big sacrifice because when you're trying to look for a job and you're location bound, it is a huge struggle compared to firing off things all across the country. So I would say that that was a big hurdle for me because I had to find something here. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just do anything I wanted. What, what advice would you would you have for people that are location bound, regardless if they're getting out of undergrad graduate if they're later on like if they're moving with a a partner or a spouse what what would your advice be if they're location bound i feel like it's the same thing like get ready to wait it might be a while before you find that thing 
that really fits well with what you want to be doing that is what you like what you're qualified to do because it's when you're going to a new place and you don't know anyone you're not really familiar with how things work it can take time to get a foot in the door mm-hmm. so yeah and you may have to like you like you did you might have to be practical for a one yeah. year two year two and a half years etc um but but clearly i think that goes back to your to your uh montage here of like be ready to wait and it for you it took uh two and a half years or so uh, and then obviously you got in the pit but i think that's awesome so what have you where does this uh and i told you we talk about this and this is a, a big topic i'm very interested in but you've built a really nice digital reputation and digital brand for yourself um because you're not just you don't just have your overcoming under underemployment podcast uh which you just started but um you know when we connected a year ago you were writing for bankable by forbes uh, you've written for Hull and Lane magazine, Women for One. Where where did that desire and how did these connections like like what advice would you have for other people that are trying to build their digital reputation, not just for a side hustler to work for themselves, but to drive to drive be an expert in their industry? Where where does all this come from and what advice would you have? I think it just starts with figuring out what you want to do or what you want to say or mm-hmm. what kind of what you want to be known for mm-hmm. and then finding ways to make it happen. I I sort of came into writing by accident as like a, a side hustle or a second job. Okay. Um, I had started writing for myself. Um, that Women for One piece that I wrote was really for me. It was dealing with something that I'd been carrying around for a long time. And once I had done that, it was like, I actually, I like doing this. And I think that I would like to do it more than just for myself. So then I started writing for Holland Lane. Um, I wrote for their blog and for their magazine. And so I kind of started to think of myself as a writer. It's hard okay. because you always feel like, what really is a writer? Like, There's no test you take. There's no certification. You can just be one if you say you are. So sure. I started to think of myself that way after I had gotten my feet wet a little bit. And in doing that, um, I had a family friend that I've known my pretty much my entire life. She works at Forbes full time and she randomly emailed me one day and she was like, Hey, I'm looking for writers to write for millennials. Is that something you're interested in? Oh, and that's awesome. I did a, like a double, triple take in my email. I was like, is this real? Like me? That's so fascinating. And I was like, well, yes, of course. I feel like I have to do it because that would be awesome. So it just kind of, it felt like it came out of nowhere. Um, I always felt like I cheated a little bit because I already knew her. But if I wasn't putting myself out there as a writer and like a serious writer, she would have never reached out to me in a million years. So I think it kind of goes both ways. Exactly. And did you start your writing while you were... um in grad school, after grad school, working for the for the um, hardware store, working for Pitt. When when did all this kind of come about? I didn't really start writing more seriously until I was at Pitt, and I was in that first position, and I was really not happy with where I was. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I wanted my next thing to be better. I didn't just want to hop around and settle some more. I wanted to be strategic in my yeah. job search. So instead of frantically applying to jobs, I was trying to distract myself and find something else that I was could do with my brain instead of just feeling stuck and like, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Sure. So, so the last question I have before we get some rapid fire, some other thoughtful questions, um, are there tips that you have for, for other people to get noticed, whether it's get noticed for a job, get noticed at a networking event, get noticed online to, to write or get your work published or like how, how can people get noticed in, in 2018? I think it's really just a matter of putting yourself out there and sending a message to like a reach or someone that you think won't respond to you in any way. Because I've seen so many people that I know just in my social media circle where they have a guest on their podcast that is like pretty well-known person. And they're like, I never thought that I would get an interview with this person, but I emailed them and then they responded and said yes. And I couldn't believe it. So I think it's sometimes just a matter of knowing who you want to talk to and then just reaching out to them. Cause sometimes it feels like people that you've only met through the internet, especially are like unreachable or you have to have a certain status for them to even open your email. But it's some, a lot of these people are just that they're people. They're not some scary, like, <laughs> like they're, they're just a person with a life. And, and because of all this technology, they're fairly accessible. If, if you 
do it the right time, the right way, the right creativity. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love that's what you said earlier was, um, you know, one of the ways you got into pit was, was, uh, I think you, you said you had one interview that you didn't get that job, but you, you followed up with an informational interview or some feedback and you, you had the, the tenacity, confidence and willingness to be like, okay, that door's shut, but let me just tactfully mm-hmm. reach back out. And it's not like, you know, I'm sure you weren't doing it 24 hours later or being pestering. Like you found the kind of the digital charisma, if you will, to be able to, to do that. Um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people think like, oh, well, I didn't hear back once or they said this or they, you know, it's, it's having that tenacity to, to reach out or, or go a different way. Um, and so I think that's a good lesson we can take is that, you know, reaching out again and, and finding ways to stay connected with people, putting yourself out there, as you said, is, is a great, uh, tip. Yeah. So, so, so let's do this, Jess. Um, I have some awesome questions here that I think will get you going, get you thinking. Um, let's see. Um, so we, we talked about what book has influenced you the most, or at least you, you shared the rejection proof one, but, Mm -hmm. um, do you have a favorite failure that's led you, led you to success? (laughs) A favorite failure. Um, well, there was one job interview that I had way back right after I graduated and I had written down the wrong time for the interview. And so I arrived late to the interview. So I obviously did not get the position because it was just a complete, I I mean, she was waiting for me. I, it was, it just didn't go well after that because I was very flustered once I realized like this woman has been waiting for me. So I think that that was probably the most, it just stuck in my head. It's like, I can never do this again. I need to be paying way better. Because when you get a call for an interview, your brain scrambles and you're like, whoa, okay, I wasn't ready. I need a pen. What am I doing? And you just get too flustered. So it was like, all right, I need to calm down when I'm getting some information. So I never do this again because, wow, this was uncomfortable and I really didn't like it. I love that story. And, and that was in grad school, you said? Yeah, it was right nice. after grad school. Nice. Uh, next question. So if you were guaranteed to succeed uh, and there was no failure in sight, what would you do? I would be writing full time. Definitely. Really? Yeah. On underemployment or variety of topics or, I, or what would you be doing? What, what kind of writing? I feel like I could go in any direction. I've always really liked self-help, that mm-hmm. kind of like mindset, psychology frame. So I think that something in that regard, I really like talking about money with people because I feel like that's not something we're doing very well. Mm-hmm. Underemployment, job searching. I feel like I could go a bunch of different ways. Cool. Uh, so I le- this is a new question I like asking people is what is uh, or what was the highlight of your day or week or what is the highlight of your day or week? I think this week I got an email from a student and she studied abroad this summer in France and she remembered that I had asked her to send me pictures and I got the email from her today actually and it was like oh my gosh like she remembered and she's sharing them with me and it was like we're having a we're, we're making progress here. Like this is cause I'm so new to things with these students. It's nice for them to, you know, care and reach out back yeah. to me. So that was, it was like a warm fuzzy. That, that's gotta give you so much, uh, kind of energy and momentum considering this is kind of, I would assume since we're recording this in the summer, somewhat downtime, that's gotta give you so much energy to be psyched for, for the fall coming up. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm so excited to hear yeah. about your trip. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two more questions. Uh, I have not asked this one yet, although I've been asked it myself. Um, it is kind of deep. If you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would oh. you ask? Oh. <laughs> I would want to know how to time travel. Really? <laughs> I am so fascinated with the idea of time travel, and I always have been. Even as a kid, it was like, what if that person over there is really like my distant relative traveling back in time right, to right. meet me back to the future. I love every I single one of those movies. Love back to the future. Yes, my husband yes. thinks it's so corny. I'm like, but no, like uh, this is so good. Anytime, anytime it's on, it could be midnight on a Monday night. Uh, it could be Sunday at three o'clock right? and, and generally they're on like back to back to back. So it's like, you got to uh-huh. watch all three. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. obviously a reference of people our age, but yeah, I totally love that movie. Um, <laughs> So let's see. Last one I will ask. Uh, so I've been flipping this question around. I, I generally, when I do my fireside chats, I love to ask people like, 
you know, what would you tell your uh, college freshman self or what would you tell your college, you know, what would you tell your college senior self? But I've reversed this question. Uh, Mm -hmm. What advice would your 80 year old self give your current self? So 80 year old Jess would give (laughs) Jess now in her late 20s. I think it would be to figure out where you want to be and show up. And that could be in any part of your life, whether it's family or friends or a new direction for your career or something you're trying to learn more about, like figure out what it is and then just show up. <laughs> Cause that's that, uh, just, uh, that's what I feel like is most important is not like how much money do I make or how big is my house or what kind of purse do I own? Like, no, like where are you showing up and where are you putting your energy? Where do you want to be? Yeah. That gave me the chills. It's, it's very deep. I think it's very timely for me with a lot of thoughts that have been going through my head. Um, and it's got, it's got that like Brene Brown uh, touch on it. So <laughs> I love it, which I know you're a fan. I'm sure a lot of people oh, yes. that will listen to this we'll are a fan. Her. So, and if yes. you're not, go check her out. Seriously. Um, Jess, I can't thank you enough, but before we officially wrap up, I always like to just throw it out there. Anything else you'd like to share, thoughts that are on your mind, topics or questions I didn't get a chance to ask you or you thought I would ask or we talk about? Um, let's see. This is your platform. Feel free to share, <laughs> spit whatever's on your mind, share whatever's on your mind. It could be about what we talked about today or anything else, you know, thought that came yeah. out today. Or... I, mean, I think my, my final thought would be that no matter what someone is going through, whether it's not being able to find a job or losing a loved one or moving to a new place or it could be anything, is you don't have to do it alone. It it so often feels like you need to just sort it out yourself. You don't want to burden someone else with your problems and you don't want to be vulnerable and share that part of yourself with people. But those are always the moments that bring you closer to people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that being able to open up to people and put yourself out there can be a really powerful thing to do because it's so easy to just feel like you have to do everything yourself and it's your problem and you have to fix it when that's absolutely not the case. And there are definitely people in your life that are willing to be there for you if you let them. So just keep that in mind if you're ever going through something hard. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, And then obviously the last shout out you can give, um, where, what are you working on? Where can people, uh, track you down or where do you want to direct them to? Sure. Um, the thing I'm working on most right now is my podcast. It's called overcoming underemployment and you can find it at overcomingunderemployment.com or on iTunes or Stitcher or Google podcasts or on the website. Um, that's what I'm really diving into now. Cool. What's your, what's your goal with it or what's your uh, kind of uh, schedule right now? Are you putting out, I think from what I could see, you're putting out one episode or so a week or are you doing taking guests? Like what's your, what's kind of the, the next year or so look for, for it, for the podcast? I'm pacing it at two a month. So it's the first and it's the manageable. 15th yep. of every month. Yeah, I did not want to get yep. in there and get enough. over my head. Yep. So I'm just doing whatever I feel like. Um if someone has a story they want to share, I have some of those I've been recording and posting. If I have random thoughts, I'll put it out there. Um, the couple episodes that I'm getting ready to, to record are more about what to do when you get into this situation and how you can start moving in a good direction. Since I think that's what people want the most is, okay, I'm here. This is how it affects me, but what do I do right now? So yeah. that's, that's the trajectory for now. Awesome. Um, well, thanks again so much, Jess. And um, for, for everybody that's listening and, and made it this far, uh, I definitely, you will be seeing and hearing a lot more of, of Jess, both with her podcast and cross-moding on the niche room, but also um, co-hosting a couple of different episodes. I know we, we have some ideas on how we can cross-promote your content, share this as guests or a platform for you. Um, but I hope that uh, you can embrace that and we can help you out because I, I can definitely see you uh growing your your personal brand and i know the work you're doing at pit is important too so uh i i'm so glad we got to spend an hour talking tonight yeah me too this was awesome well as always everybody thank you for making it this far and listening to the interview with jessica and i really hope you got a lot out of it again there's a lot of great resources and and stories and anecdotes in there please uh, feel free to check out the show notes 
If I or Jessica can ever help you, please uh, shoot me an email, kevin at the nichemovement.com, and I'll be more than happy to provide some resources or connect you with Jessica. You can also get in touch with me at KOCO83 on Instagram or Twitter or through the Niche Movement at Niche Movement on Instagram or Twitter as well. But the, the more important thing is, is what you listen to with Jessica and I's uh, interview as well as maybe Dustin or some other people. I love featuring people's stories of how they found their niche, or you may wanna share your own story through the audio format, or maybe you have written content. Maybe you're already sitting on written content and you wanna cross promote it to our uh, grassroots growing community here. But uh, if you do, feel free to reach out to us. Again, Kevin at The Niche Movement and myself or Tracy, our chief editor. We're more than happy to, to set you up and figure out the best way to get you involved or get your, your content shared with our community because it's super helpful and can be super inspiring to, to help others find the job they love. So again, once, my name, once again, my name is Kevin O'Connell, founder of The Niche Movement, and I really, really hope that you have a great day. And if this interview was inspiring or could help other people, please share it. Thanks so much.